here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.3 FM in Rustenburg. 7.45, they say that third time is lucky. And who knows, maybe third time will be lucky <laughs> this time round. We are moving into our thought leaders, storytellers and griots. We'll start the show afresh like a whole new, just sla- scrape the slate clean, we hope. And as I mentioned earlier, there's been a conversation that's been raised and it's in various areas of the media, but also just in the public domain as well. It's the use of the term social cohesion versus the term social compact. And uh, we're not always sure what we mean by the term social compact versus the term social cohesion. So I thought we'd try and uh, unpack it a little. Ooh, hate that phrase as well. But Ulelwa uh, Kashe Katia is the Director of Project Management at MISTRA, the Mapungubwe Institute for Strategic Reflection. Ulelwa, I'm really hoping that this is going to be a glorious uh, morning for me and that now we can start from afresh. Yeah, good morning, Michelle, and thank you for having me. And yes, I do hope that we will have um, an interesting conversation around uh, these two, you know, buzzwords that seem to be, you know, creating a society. I, I love the fact that you say it is a buzzword, and they both are buzzwords. And, and I suppose what we'd really like to hear from you, what is the difference? What is a social compact versus social cohesion? Okay. I think just in terms of just my framing of, you know, the discussion, define each first, but the two are interconnected. But just as an opening statement, I would say a social compact is a means to uh, social cohesion. So let me start with uh, social compact at first. I mean, a social compact is... um, it's a contract, an agreement of sorts that uh, would then exist in in, in relation to how societies would distribute power, how they would engage with economic growth, and all issues that have to deal with, you know, both the macro and micro-social economics of that particular country. And in the past, countries that have managed to introduce social context have always been those who are looking for social or national cohesion, economic growth, and more inclusion. And we've got a number of examples of how those countries have approached the process of compacting. And even our country, actually, we found that there's evidence of compact-like arrangements that we've had, in particular during the transition post-1994. But when we did our research, as first as Mapungupo Institute, and then we continued that work as Indulamiti, uh, um, uh, essay scenarios, we found that we needed to unpack, you know, the key ingredients for compacting. I've already mentioned that yeah. there's a need for more cohesion, but it's usually in countries that are so fractured with um, fragile, you know, uh, state of affairs, wherein we need to bring different parts of society together for the greater good of the country. So we've looked at examples like, you know, the Asian tigers, such as, you know, South Korea. We've looked at countries like Ireland, where they were also facing uh, uh, inequality. We've looked at uh, even some African countries. We've looked at Mauritius. We've looked at um, 
we've looked at Rwanda as well, especially around uh, post the genocide when they had to heal that society and the different mechanisms to which they could then find each other for the greater good of the country. And you can see now the progress in that country. In terms of the local situation, we would regard uh, the Kodesa moment as a compacting moment wherein we had to heal, you know, our past that we were coming from. And that actually led to interventions such as the RDP all the way to what we now have as the National Development Plan. So, so we do have to go to a break and then we'll come back after the break because this, I think, is a critical story for everybody. I mean, we're all trying to understand what does it mean. But are we saying then that in order to get social cohesion, we need to go back to what a social compact is, the technicalities of a social compact? Correct. That's what, well, that's what we are recommending yeah. as one of the antidotes to, to, you know, the situation that we have because we're finding that we are even more divided than we were before. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to the break and when we come back, let's, uh, let's tease that out a little further. The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. So we're talking to Kulal Wakashi Katia. She's the director at, of project management at Mistra, but she also is uh, acting uh, director of the Ndlulamiti Scenarios, which focuses on issues of social compacting and uh, de- uh, trying to understand what uh, that is in relation to social cohesion. Now, historically, the Department of Arts and Culture, Sports Arts and Culture, or DSAC, have focused on the idea of social cohesion. And I suppose the question that we're asking is in order for us to understand social cohesion, is this a case of us saying, well, technically we need to really work our way through what social compacting is and how we do it in the future. Gulelwa, thanks uh, again for staying with us on this. So if we're going to say, all right, we need to create a social compact, who is involved in this? And is it a formalized relationship? Of course, it is a, a very formalized uh, relationship, uh, uh, Michelle. And I think that's been one of the flaws of our attempts at compacting, wherein yeah. it was not formalized sufficiently. You would have, you know, the job summits of this world and investment summits where there's, you know, various pledges by uh, a big business uh, working together with government. However, what we found that because this is a contract, it has to be more binding. But also it needs to include other social partners beyond business. So you would find that labor is supposed to be included in that. But also communities, you know, because not everyone in South Africa works. So if you're going to just only include labor, business and government, mm-hmm. that means all these 30% or so, so unemployed people then are not, they don't included. have a seat at the table. Yeah. So we have to find mechanisms to bring everybody so that we fall into Actually, first and foremost, I think what is required is that we need to find a common vision or, you know, those few priorities that we all can agree on as things that need to be tackled so that we can actually attain social cohesion. So it has to be a very inclusive process. There's no use in identifying it in terms of what government perceives uh, perceives as uh, a priority. And you find that in government, there's a long list of priorities. With business also, they have their own you know, focused uh, interest. However, if you were to open up the space a little further, and that would probably maybe entail um, making some shifts and tweaks around the NEDLEC process, because formally, 
that is the platform that was formed to actually take forward a social contact in South Africa. Okay, so and let's let's take a pause there. So what you're saying is that formerly Nedlac's mandate was to create a social compact, which is a common vision created out of a few priorities where everybody sits at the table, business, labor, community, and government. Mm-hmm. Okay. But now what you find is that because of how it's structured, you know, there's requirements for participating at the NEDLAC. Uh, first, it has to be big federations, big business. So you'd find that it won't be individual companies, but it would be a, a, a booster that sits there, or you'd have a COSATI instead of having the smaller uh, labor unions. So this is where we've been identifying, you know, gaps wherein you find that there's no full representation. Yeah. Of, you know, and also the society is transforming. I mean, there's the informal sector. A lot of people are operating within that informal sector, so they yeah. don't necessarily have representation. Okay. So, so this is, I mean, so essentially in order for us to really start thinking about social compacting as, as we move forward, we need to agree that there is full representation. That would be one. And, I mean, what you're saying about the formal and informal sector is is obviously critical because more and more and more the informal sector is um, the driving force in our environment. Exactly. And how do we then identify the needs and requirements of the informal sector for them to fully participate? Because for meaningful social cohesion, you need to have a society with citizens that feel included. Included. They are participating in all the national processes, and also it, there's a sense of uh, co-creation in terms of taking the country forward. But then if you have some parts of our society which are increasingly becoming, you know, the majority left out, then I wouldn't say that compacting process is meaningful. Gulelwa, um, when we talk about these things, what's interesting about it is that perhaps it it talks to what our dear friend Andre Flock always talks about is if we look at conflict resolution and engaging, we A, all have to have the same goal in the long future. And we may not agree necessarily on certain things. We may in fact have to give up certain of our needs in order for all of us to reach the, 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 the long-term goal. Would that be a social compact? Yes, actually, it's that spirit of compromise that's required in a social context. And as we know, South Africa is so diverse. It's one of the most diverse societies in our country, and it's in terms of class, race, and and so on. And we are also the most unequal country in the world, so you can imagine how divided we are in terms of our views. However, when we come to a compacting table, there has to be this, you know, you know, willingness to reach out across, but also, you know, to bring something to the table yeah. and not only expecting to receive, but also while uh, giving, putting something on the table, being willing to forego some of even your most strongest beliefs. We find we differ in religion, we differ in so many, in so many ways. Yeah. I would use the example of unions. Is there any negotiation table? Are there certain things that they can forego? I remember our engagements with the labor movement when we asked the question about a 24-hour economy. Is this something that labor would be willing to participate in as opposed to everyone in South Africa starting work at 2 o'clock and finishing a very dead or sleeping economy you know, overnight? And they said, yes, they would be willing to 
for, it's just that because of our history, they had to protect workers and ensure there's eight-hour working day and so on. But what they would require then from the state is uh, uh, ensuring that the workers are safe. So this is the kind of exchange that, okay, we can be willing to work, you know, 24 hours with different shifts. But are we guaranteed that, you know, the workers, when they go to work at night, they will be safe? It's policing willing to actually up their game to ensure that we can actually attain this 24-hour economy. So it's those kinds of exchanges that, that give and take forces that would be required, and all in the name of reaching that common vision or that North Star that is common to us all, which is very difficult as a state diver. So, so we've got a couple of things, and we've literally got 50 seconds to answer them. Someone's saying, who must compromise when only one side compromises? Chapter 2 also saying social cohesion has to be inclusive of economic freedom. And Chapter 2, we really are looking at social compacting, but I think that this is a fair point. If you had to close off, Gulelwa, uh, what would the way forward be? I think we need strong leadership. In all, um, you know, different sectors, you know, that we've mentioned, labor and so on. But also there has to be that leadership, you know, very convincing leadership. And I think we managed to do it through Kodesha. We had a leader like Mandela that everyone was willing to listen to and follow. So we need that kind of uh, strong and uh, uh, influential leader who can actually rally the whole of society around a certain vision. Because Kodesha, not everyone agrees. But there was a principle of sufficient, uh, um, you know, agreement. And, and the main vision was to take the country out of apartheid. Yeah. So I think we need something similar to that if we are to take ourselves out of this current rut. I would have loved to have taken this further. Kulalwa, thank you so much for joining us. Kulalwa Kashi Katia is the Director of Project Management uh, at Mapungubwe Institute for Strategic Reflections. She also oversees the Ndlulamiti scenarios. It's 8 o'clock. It's time for the news. Good morning.